With the holidays right around the corner, be sure to plan for your spring and summer training for your player. Visit VanguardHockey.com to see the dates and locations and see if we're coming to your area soon. We have Long Island, California, Detroit, England, Germany, and back to Staten Island and New York City planned so far with more dates and locations on the way. Visit VanguardHockey.com and book your players' registrations today. Hello, everybody. We are a band from Slovakia called Cico Band and Rene Rendi. And now you're listening to the podcast Katsumoto with Peter Sikoro and Jeff Lobmanov. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 10 of Katsumoto Conversations. I'm here with my guest host, as always, Peter Sikora, and our incredible guest for the evening, Mr. Justin Selman himself. How are we doing? How you guys doing? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. good. Before we get started, as always, got to thank the Tito Band for that unreal introduction, that song that's famous all across Eastern Europe. So thank you, guys. It's from uh, Peter's hometown. Well, no, they're next door. They're next door. They're Slovakia. Yeah, they are next door. Next door. Yeah, they used to be together. You guys used to be together. When you were born, they were together. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I may, I may screw this up, but I think we split up in 1991 or 92. Yeah. So you definitely. were already like 60 or 65 by then, right, Dinosaur? Yes, definitely. But, you know, like more I think about it is that, you know, definitely if we stay together, the national team for hockey would be so much stronger for both sides. So we would be basically a powerhouse, really. But, you know, when we split up, you know, like the Czechs, they still, I think the Slovaks too, they won uh, once the World Championship. Czechs, we did it. Uh, we did it a few times. Uh, I was part of uh, the three ones or two ones. And, uh, but definitely if we would have stayed together, it would be a powerhouse. I guess we'll never know. Never know. So to introduce our incredible guest today, uh, another one of these Game of Thrones style introductions, Justin Selman, who grew up in New Jersey, uh, played for the Avalanche, and then he went to the USHL, had an amazing stint in the USHL, went on to the University of Michigan, and from there went on to have a, a solid pro career, and now is the co-owner of Topline Hockey, which is an incredible, incredible skills company uh, in upstate, I like to call it upstate because it's north of the city, uh, in upstate New York, and they just opened a facility in New York City as well. Uh, Justin, how'd you get started, man? Yeah, um, started with hockey. It's kind of an interesting story. I actually grew up watching Peter. Um, my dad uh, was in, is and was in the car business and got into selling some trucks to the Devils players in the early 90s. Um, Bill Guerin, uh, Bobby Holy, guys like that. And, um, you know, John McClain brought me to games as a young kid. And I remember them, you know, throwing pucks over the glass, being three or four. No one in my family played hockey, so it was just kind of like a thing my dad and I did. And, you know, we started it started to become more and more common. We were going once or twice a week, going down to the locker room, meeting the players at a young age. So I just became fascinated with it. Um, and, you know, like kudos to my dad, just throwing me headfirst into hockey, giving me all the resources possible to, you know, support my development from a young age and, you know, right into that travel model with the Ramapo Saints, um, playing squirt hockey there, and then jumped over, like you mentioned, to the Avalanche, played my AAA hockey with the with the North Jersey Avalanche, uh, Pee Wee Minor, Pee Wee Major, 
all the way up until high school. Um, and at the time, the Avalanche, it's a little different than it was, uh, was different then than it is now, sorry. Uh, the Avalanche were really like the, the powerhouse in terms of AAA. They are good now, obviously, but there's a little bit more AAA hockey in the area. So grew up, you know, playing with the Avs. We had a, a really, really strong team. I think we had six or seven D1 commits uh, at the end of the line there. A couple guys went to the OHL. Um, so it was kind of that cusp of Jersey breaking out. Kyle Palmieri was, you know, just making the national program. James Van Riemsdyk, another Jersey guy, really putting Jersey on the map um, and making it, you know, a reality for us that, you know, you could make it out of Jersey and play college hockey and, uh, you know, play pro hockey. Yeah. So what, what was the difference maker for you to go NCAA rather than the OHL? Because obviously, you know, everybody comes to that crossroads. Once you hit that level, if you're getting scouted and, and coveted enough, it, it, there's the split. Yeah, right? for sure. For sure. Up, you know, yeah. you NCAA. What was the difference maker for you? Yeah, um, it was a really tough decision, honestly. Uh, I was drafted by the Peterborough Peets, um, and I actually uh, went to their training camp. I flew out there and, and made sure, you know, I, I kept my clearing house and my eligibility intact back then. You couldn't, you know, take payments or all that. So made sure we were all good there with my advisor, but went to Peterborough's camp, was playing on a line with Matt Pumple, uh, had a great camp. Jeff Tui was the GM, you know, took me and my dad out for dinner, sat me down, you know, you're going to play right away. You know, this is the fastest path to the NHL. Um, obviously as a 15, 16 year old kid, your eyes light up, you know, you think that that's, that's what you've been working for your whole life. And, um, you know, it was definitely a tough decision on the flight back talking to my dad about, you know, keeping my options open and why not just going right there. But that same summer, um, actually a week later, JP Parisi who passed away, but he was the, the GM of the Des Moines Buccaneers. Uh, he calls, he calls my house and my, my stepmom answers. And she asked for, uh, he asked for me and she asked who's calling. He says, uh, we drafted your son. And she goes, oh, thank you. Uh, he was already drafted to Peterborough, not knowing two different leagues, very, you know, oblivious to the whole situation. Right. So so I, I ripped the phone out of her hands. I'm like, mom, give me the phone. So I, I pick up the phone. He tells me, you know, we want you to come to Des Moines, come to our training camp. This was really before I knew much about the USHL. So did my homework, started looking at, you know, the pedigree of guys who came from that league and how many guys they put into Division One college. So went to that camp. And, and quite frankly, the USHL camp was a much bigger jump for me than the OHL camp. Um, there was 21 year olds, uh, you know, it, it was physical, there was fights. It was, it was really good hockey. And I didn't make the team. Um, I didn't make the team my first year at camp. They told me to come back the next year. So I went back to the avalanche, you know, now thinking, let me do one more year, develop, work on my game, get a little bit stronger. Um, and Went back to Des Moines camp, had a great camp, made the team. And that same summer, uh, I, I made the Ivan Helenka 18 and under USA team. So that's when really like the college offers started to kind of trickle in. And, you know, uh, Vermont, UNH, those schools had me out for visits. And I have pictures of myself in Michigan gear at five, six years old, walking around the house, winged helmet and, uh, you know, Michigan sweatshirt. So the second my my advisor called and let us know that I was going out to see Michigan for a visit, you know, I looked my dad in the face. I told him if they offer, it's game over, you know, yes, no problem. And, you know, absolutely, we're, we're making that decision on the spot. And we went out there and Coach Berenson, unlike any other coach, uh, looked me right in the eyes and he said, you know, why should Michigan have you? 
uh, versus most of the other schools where it was like, oh, we'll slot you in on the third line as a freshman and you'll be on the power play by your junior year. And that was a hard hitting question. And, and, you know, I think that's, it made me think, and, you know, he starts going through the list of guys who he's most proud of. And it was never, you know, Jack Johnson or Max Pacioretty. It was guys who went on to have a great career in business um, and a great career in, uh, after their academics. And he was preaching how good of a school Michigan was and the connections you'll make and uh, the network you'll create there. And, you know, I think, after having that conversation with my family and realizing that there's a wall of NHLers who all were first rounders who went to Michigan and all these guys still played in the NHL, but all these other guys had a great backup plan and a great, um, you know, second, second look at life after hockey ended. So that's how I made that decision. Um, you know, really, and I'm extremely grateful that I did uh, just because, you know, injuries happen and that's obviously down the, down the line is what happened to me with, with concussions and, I didn't imagine myself inevitably being in hockey down the road, but studied sports management, was a kinesiology major. So everything kind of ties back into what I'm doing now. So I'm, I'm grateful for every opportunity I had at Michigan. Um, and I think the OHL is a great option for some players. I think major junior is a great way to prepare to be a pro. Um, getting your body used to playing an 80 game season, traveling, um, the demands of the fans and all that at a young age. But I think now where college hockey has gotten to, it's it's pretty much, you know, apples to apples in terms of the hockey. And it's really what's going to push you further in terms of your personal growth and, uh, you know, where you fit in better down the road. The hell of a story, man. That's a that's a long road from Upper Saddle. You know, <laughs> Upper Saddle River, yeah. Upper Saddle yeah. River. It's, it's, uh, it's an amazing story. And we're sitting here just like deers in the headlights listening to this and, uh, you know, we come from a similar area, you know, you, we have a lot of, uh, mutual friends, even before we even really started to know each other. Um, the list of mutual friends that we have just from the game itself. And then, and then outside of that is just, is kind of wild, but I was, uh, I was at Yoast for the first time and my aunt went to Michigan in the seventies. Uh, but I, I went to Yoast for the first time and, and you know this because you lent me your Jersey, which I will mail back to you soon yeah. enough. I promise. Um, and seeing that atmosphere in that arena, um, I got to go to the OSU game, which was awesome because it was a rivalry game, all, you know, the whole deal, but such a different atmosphere than I expected in that place the, with the band and the people, people, they literally bleed blue in that place. It was, it was unlike anything I've seen. I've been to BU games and they have great fans and, and you know, Northeastern has great fans, but that was really something special and, and to be able to experience that night in and night out. Um, and then obviously you've got, what is it? 40 something thousand students that go to that school. It's gotta be close to that 30 to 40,000 students. Yeah, right. For sure. and to, I mean, that's gotta be between that and the football team. Those are the two top things on campus. Right. So how was it handling that type of atmosphere in such a, like an enclosed space, not, I were more of like an OHL vibe would be, you know, you're kind of a king of a town, so to speak. But how did it feel to be in such a microcosm where it was in such a small space? Did you feel like a lot of people knew who you were on campus and you had no idea who these people were, but they all seemed to know you because they watched you play the games and such? Um, you know what? I, I, I didn't feel like that because it was such a big school. Um, I felt like we had a really strong hockey fan base. Obviously, the children of Yost did a great job filling the seats and um, we never really had empty seats at our game. So after the games, you did get that stardom feeling. But, you know, Michigan football is is the, the greatest of all time when it comes to, you know, uh, 
history and, and college football. So they trumped us in, in pretty much the fandom on campus and, and the basketball team, they're on TV. And my uh, my senior year was the first year in the Big Ten. So that's really when we started to get recognized. They got some TV coverage at the games and stuff like that. But uh, you know, guys like Jacob Truba, guys like Zach Wierenski, Dylan Larkin, they're getting recognized because, you know, they're first round draft picks and you're in a class with 25 kids in a lecture and or a seminar and people know who those guys are for sure. Um, and, and and you know who they are, even if you're on the team, right? Like they have a different level of respect coming in as a first or second pick in the draft or, you know, the best player from the national program. Um, that was really what was eye opening to me. Yeah. The, the fans, you know, Des Moines had, had a crazy fan base. They were selling out most games too. So, you know, the noise and, and the fandom wasn't as big of an adjustment as it was, uh, you know, sitting to the left and sitting to the right of two guys who you knew were going to have 10 to 15 year NHL careers. All right. So Peter, your trajectory was quite different. Did you ever have any thoughts growing up about going to an American university? Did that ever cross your mind or was it, I'm going pro as fast as I can? I'm, I'm going to stop you right there. I'm just a father here who has a 15 year old son who would like him to be playing D1 uh, college. So can you please keep asking Justin questions? <laughs> <laughs> just a listener today. So, all right, I'll, I'll keep up with the, with the Howard Stern interview of Justin Selman. No, 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 no. But it's, no, it's, no. I, I, I have a, a follow-up question because, you know, where you hear clearing house, you hear clearing house and so many parents don't have any idea what you're talking about. They think that their kid can just get picked up by some D1 team and they sign a piece of paper and they're on. So yeah. tell, tell us how you went through the process of the clearing house. Well, it, it's good to that you asked that question and hopefully there are a lot of people listening because the the commitment process is one thing. Um, and I think that's what everybody hears about. Oh, you know, so and so committed. He's 15 and he's going to Vermont and he's going to BU and he's, you know, he's only a sophomore. Great. Does that mean he just, you know, drops his backpack in his kitchen and never has to go to class again? And um, I think now people start to understand because of social media and resources like you guys and and people start to do their homework. But for me, I committed to Michigan going into my junior year of high school. So I left Bergen Catholic as a sophomore going into my junior year. And I went to Des Moines, Iowa. Um, I went to high school from 8 a.m. to 11 in the afternoon. And they had a, a high school counselor there who was spe like specific to the hockey team. And, you know, she told me, you're not going to take art. You're not going to have a lunch period. You're not going to have a physical education class. You're going to get every single class that you need to get done to pass the clearinghouse which meant, you know, you don't need to take algebra two, you don't need to take geometry, which, you know, when you tell a 16 year old that, oh, great. But then you get to these colleges and you're expected to have a business major and take, you know, econ and uh, some of these kids are taking trig and all these, you know, high level math classes. So, you know, my advice to kids like your son at Nikki is, you know, just because they're going to get these looks, don't, you know, keep their foot on the gas when it comes to school and, and, and take it seriously for many reasons, but obviously when you get to college, you want hockey to be a focus and you don't want school to become a distraction and you don't want to feel overwhelmed or swamped by, you know, this sudden workload, especially if you do take a year off in junior. Um, a lot of these guys, you know, you're 20 years old going in, you haven't opened a book in two years besides what you're reading on the road, if you are reading anything at all. So that's a huge shift for a lot of people to realize, hey, I have seven different courses I'm taking right now and 10 hours of homework. 
Um, but for me, you know, I committed and, um, I remember it like it was yesterday, Brian Wiseman called me and he was the assistant at Michigan and I was going into my senior year and he, he literally said, are you still coming? And my heart sunk. And I, I didn't understand why he said that, you know, I, I was playing fine. Like it wasn't a hockey question I could tell. And I said, of course, yeah. He's like, well, you haven't submitted any of your applications. You haven't taken the ACT. You haven't done any of the back end stuff. And I was like, oh, I thought I was committed. Like, I really genuinely didn't know. My parents were in New Jersey. I was living up, you know, I thought go to high school, get your grades. I was getting straight A's, but I didn't know there was a whole process of submitting an application, going on the common app. There was deadlines. So I was literally at the point where if I missed the last ACT test, I wasn't getting into Michigan. And I was traded to Sioux Falls my senior year. So I believe it was like February. Let's say it was the 15th was the last test. Michigan called me on the 12th and I look online and the only place offering the SAT or the ACT was my old high school, coincidentally in Des Moines, the day of my game. So I went in cold, didn't have an ACT tutor, didn't have an SAT tutor. And I passed the clearinghouse. You know, I think I got a 24, which isn't, you know, that's not getting you into any colleges on academics, but it's okay enough to get, you know, get into school. But if I hadn't gotten that call, I don't know what would have happened truthfully. So just because you commit and, you know, you get to put your Instagram post up that says BU or Michigan or Harvard um, and everyone says, congratulations, there's still a lot of work to be done in the classroom, uh, you know, on yourself and, just to make sure you're working with your college counselors or if your coaches are involved, like it, it was really a, a, a lucky situation because I could have been sitting out a whole year of college just because of, you know, me not realizing I needed an application. In. Wild. Wow. Did you, did you have an advisor at the time? I did. Yeah, I did. And, and every time, you know, it was, it was very much Michigan was at your game against Cedar Rapids. They thought you were playing great, you know, stay hard on pucks you know, great job, red likes, you know, red likes that you put up a point, like stuff like that. It was never, Hey, you know, make sure you submit your three biggest interests uh, outside of hockey to, to Michigan on, on your common app. And I was panicking. I was up all night. I remember like sitting in my billets house, just on my laptop till five in the morning, just typing away essays. Like I was panicking really, really was, was scared. That's wild, man. Yeah. I have a question here. I have a question. Uh, Justin, uh, I'm around uh, a lot of parents. I'm one of the parents. I have my view on this where I truly believe that the kids should stay in school, not doing the online school. Meanwhile, you know, a lot of the, uh, there's a lot of movements, even at the U15 level, a lot of kids are going from team to team. And, you know, let's say my son, he sees a lot of his teammates, probably more of his teammates are doing the online school instead of going into the school. And my question is, what is your take on that? You know, kids at 15, 16 doing the online school, do you think it's going to affect them even if they get committed to D1 college and then, they, then they're going to have to start going to school again? And... Yeah. I don't know, like for me, I truly believe the kids should go to school, be socially active, be around kids, you know, be on the schedule, know how to deal with uh, different problems being in school because the online schooling, which is very trendy right now, like uh, a lot of the kids are doing it at a very young age. And uh, just, you know, just want to hear your take on it because you went to college, you went to Michigan, you played great hockey on top of it. And, you know, uh, you know, how hard is actually the school, you know, when you get to that college to do it with the hockey and be like good in hockey, be good in school. And what do you think 
the kids should really stay in high school or do the online schooling? I think it's it's situational. Um, I lean towards you should stay in school for the social reasons that you touched on more so than the academics. Um, just because I think as a person, uh, looking back, I'm, I'm really grateful that I was able to interact with football players in high school and lacrosse players and have girls in my classes and, you know, have interests outside of hockey that inevitably shaped me as a person that let me uh, be a leader in the locker room and have a different voice to be, you know, uh, understanding of different people and not just be hockey, lift, shoe pucks, hockey, lift, skate, shoe pucks, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, my business is training kids. And I've been approached numerous times about uh, open academies or, you know, open up a school inside of our top line training centers. And I am pretty firm against it, at least at this point, just because I think kids do need that social aspect. A lot of the college projects, a lot of the stuff you do in college is group based. Um, it's not just get the work done when you when it's convenient for you. Um, there are deadlines just like there are in the real world um, and you need to be able to manage your time. Um, however, the way the world is post pandemic and post COVID, there are people working from home now. So it's hard for me to say, you know, when you get into the real world, you're going to need to interact with people because you could be one of those people that work from their laptop on a beach chair uh, and never see a person for, for three weeks and still be able to perform highly and, and get your tasks done. So I think there are situations where uh, the player is going to benefit from, from the homeschooling or the online schooling. But then I think it's really important to, to as a parent to make sure that your son or daughter has outside interests and, whether that's on you, on their tutor, on, you know, their social circle, but I don't think it's healthy mentally to just be one track minded. Um, I think it's great to have discipline and be focused, but I think there is a time for, um, you know, fun and there's a time for distraction in a sense, uh, you know, in a safe way that, that shapes you and, and prepares you. I mean, if you were a pro, you, you know what I'm talking about. There's times where you need to have fun. And if you're the guy that, uh, sh shelters himself or he's never been exposed to some of these things, it's not a great situation for that guy in the locker room either. hundred percent. No, I agree with you hundred percent. And you said it perfectly. Becoming more prevalent and, um, you know, even kids built at the 15 U level doing billeting and, and all that, I think in ways it prepares you to be on your own and, um, be self-sufficient. But I think in ways also, it gives you this mindset that you're special and you're different than um, the other people just because you play hockey and hockey's a weird sport like that, but you know, you're no better or worse than the lacrosse player or the football player who's 15 and, and the best player in New Jersey or Michigan or Colorado, wherever you live um, just because you're a hockey player and your schedule demands travel doesn't justify you, you know, your superiority on other people. So I think that's what gets played with a little bit is like, Oh, I'm online school. I'm going to just get the answers and that's great. And you'll pass your way through until there's a point where you can't anymore. And you don't, you know, I like to say, you don't want to ever be exposed, right? You never want to be left with, you know, the rug pulled out from under you. So I think if you can get the good education at home, it's, it's a good option um, for some. Um, but I think it's a person by person decision and, and you really need to weigh out all the options, right? It shouldn't be your first choice. Yeah, for sure. So Coming from the only guy here that did online school, I mean, did you you, did, you went to brick and mortar when you went off to the USHL? You went to yeah. high specific yeah. course. Um, I skipped midgets and went straight to juniors. Uh, and 
my second year, I started doing online school. I had some buddies, uh, one of them who played for Bell Tire. Uh, he was doing online school and I was like, this is awesome. This sounds fantastic. Uh, and a lot of things that you said make a lot of sense. And some things that you said, I never even thought of in a million years. Um, but there was some kind of uh, imbalance, so to speak, from myself and the other guys on the team that definitely that went to school brick and mortar. Um, I mean, when you're playing with some 20, 19, 20 year old guys, they're, they're working all day. Right. Like some of these guys actually had full-time day jobs and then they'd come to practice in the evening and such. Um, and I was doing online school and I got, I had a few classes They were relatively easy for me. Um, I did well in school before that. It's not like I just, you know, whiz my way through online. Uh, but it's, it certainly does kind of have this, uh, I don't want to necessarily call it a superiority complex, but I could see how some could take it that way. And I'm sure some do take it that way. Like I am better than you because I get to do whatever the hell I want all day while you're slaving away in a classroom, yada, yada, yada. But, um, it certainly did have its advantages and disadvantages for me, but it never, uh, it never hurt me when I was talking to schools though. I, I, and I, now what you're saying with how much more prevalent it is now, um, I mean, everybody that I train every day does online school. My, the entire academy that I work for is online school. So we are on the ice two times a day and they do their schoolwork uh, in a classroom setting. And then they go to the gym with the SNC coach. And it's like this or existing. I mean, how many hockey academies are there now? There's, I mean, there's, there's, there's quite a lot. It used to just be like the Shaddix was like, that's a hockey academy. Sure. It's now there, now there's quite a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think like it, you know, it, it definitely is just situational, right? I think being in a classroom with eight other hockey players who smell like hockey after skating in the morning and then going right to a classroom and their coach is now teaching them math. It's just, it's very one dimensional. I think being on an online school because you're out playing juniors and your schedule doesn't match up. Um, that's a different situation and that's understandable. And that's why it's, it's person to person. And I don't think there's a right or wrong. And I don't think it's going to impact the player's ability to succeed on the ice or to get to a, a destination of their choice in terms of hockey. I just think it can be, you know, detrimental to their social yeah. uh, awareness. If, you know, if it's not managed, if you're, if you live in a household and you have four brothers and two sisters and it's conversation all day long, you might not need that. Right. You might be able to get the extra workout in and you might be able to put on the five pounds you're trying to put on in the summer. Cause you're not skipping the school lunch, which you don't like, and you're eating at home. So it's, it's, if you have your goals listed out and it's one of those things that it helps you achieve the next goal, it could be something really beneficial. If it's just, Hey, my friend said online school is easy. I'm going to try this out you know, I don't think that's a fair, fair way to make your decision. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I have one more question for you guys. So while we edit, uh, obviously again, a lot of parents are talking to me and I really have no answer for them on this one because I know you both went through this. And, uh, so even, you know, you go to U15, then you go to U16 and you are even playing the top line on top five team in the country. But, you know, you 
even get drafted to NHL or USHL, or you may not be drafted. And a lot of these parents are asking me, what do we do that year after the U16? Because only just a fraction of the players are going to make the USHL teams because there is 20, 21-year-old kids. And they're like, uh, as of now, for example, today I talked to a couple of parents who are at the U16 level, and they didn't get drafted last year by USHL or NHL, and they are very good hockey players. Like those two kids are playing on top five team in the country, and they play in first power play. Yeah. And they don't know what they're going to do next year. Like, what's the option for them? Like, what is the, like, where are they going to go? It's it's a great question. I think I think Jeff uh, probably has the, the the immediate answer is that's where he sits right now. Right. Is is that 18 U level pocket where, you know, I think everybody's chasing the, their next season. Um, and Jeff and I were kind of talking about that earlier today with with how early tryouts are coming up. But, uh, you know, everyone's already looking to what they can do next season. And I think if you're not drafted by that team or that league it doesn't mean you can't play there it just might not have a fit for you yet so i think the question should be what do i need to work on and if it's you know i'm very gifted offensively but my defensive game is lacking or i'm not strong on pucks i'm not heavy then maybe you assess what what's going to put you in the best situation to work on that the next season is it 18 you is it going to prep school is it um playing on a, lo a more local junior option, NCDC, something like that, where you're getting that physicality of, of a top level junior game, but you're getting minutes that you can develop, right? Like going out to the USHL um, to say you're in the USHL uh, just, just to be out there, but playing four minutes a night does nothing but hurt your confidence and turn you into a player that you might not want to become. Um, and I think a lot of parents don't realize that they just see the, the the person they grew up with doing the road trips with uh, and their son's line mate since he was 10, making it to that next level earlier than their, their kid. And they think I need to get him there too. And uh, instead of saying, what does he need to do to get to that level? I just don't think it's a race. I'm a big believer. I, I went to Michigan as a true freshman. And I think that might be my biggest regret in hockey. Um, I was in such a rush, just, you know, you don't want to lose your commitment. You don't want to get injured, whatever might happen, but every day you can get instrumentally better now every day. And I think going to a team that you're not really going to dominate on is more harm than good. Nine out of 10 times. I think the experience is great. Don't get me wrong, but I think going to these teams and being a bottom line guy and being a guy that gets blamed for a two, one loss when you're not even really on the ice and you're getting scratched and you're getting head games, you know, mixed into your, your thoughts at 16, 17, it does a lot to your confidence. And I think going to a team where, you know, the coach tells you, Hey, you're going to be our top guy. That's where I would go. I would go to the team that's you're going to be the top guy at your 16U year and you can put the numbers up. You could be in situations where at any given point, uh, a junior scout or a college scout sees you, you're on the ice, right? Like if Michigan comes to watch a player and, and, and he's the fourth line on a USHL team, they're not even going to remember your name. If you have three goals and you're on the power play at the 18U showcases, you, you know, you're getting on the right list. Yeah. So definitely these players should go to U18. Basically, find the right situation at the U18 level 
and you know be on the ice all the time and you know like for some reason like that's my answer to them but for some reason it's kind of like they feel they're like degrading their players like they kind of feel like it's like a step back but there is no other choice really there is no other choice unless you want to pay and go to prep school and play you know 25 games in your season and don't get me wrong it's a great option there too you there's options for everyone i think you're right though they feel like it's a downgrade it's like a downgrade yes not shipping away my kid yet but that 18 new year your your son's still home you know he's he's working on the things he can be in control of he can find an extra day or two to work on his shooting he can find an extra day or two to get his edges cleaned up he can work on his off ice strength and conditioning his mobility um maybe he had an injury that he can you know clean up instead of shipping himself away and and just fighting to stay relevant um he can really shape his game and i think the 18u level i mean jeff jeff knows better than anybody there but i think it's great hockey and you're still 18 like everyone's in a rush i think 18 is young now like going into college at 19 20 there's nothing wrong with that um think about how strong you can get in a year how fast how much faster you can get in a whole year um so i think if you go 18s and then then you go to the na or the ushl with another 80 games played where you're getting 18 22 minutes a night that's that's going to develop you a lot better than just telling your friends you're in the ushl but really you're tendered and you're back and forth to an na team and and, and struggling mentally yeah 100 agreed. 100 very, very well said very well said and um there's there's you know that old saying is just because somebody got there first doesn't mean that you're late and hockey in is inherently a game of keeping up with the joneses and you're always trying, you know, you see, all, like you said, my line mate did this, or the guy I started with is here and doing that. It's like, that has no bearing on you. That has no bearing on, on your trajectory and what you did. And, you know, there are guys that went to juniors uh, after, after me and their careers were, you know, much more extended. I mean, uh, a, a buddy of ours went to the same high school as me, right? And look at where he ended up and took a totally different trajectory and ended up playing with you at UM and, um, having a great pro career. And I went to juniors early. And by the time I was 17, I was playing in the OJ and it just, I mean, that's the way I thought my career should go. Um, but you're right. The, I think a huge problem with this is Peter is that people do think that I'm not playing in the NA I'm playing 18 AAA. You know, that is a downgrade and it's, it's really not, it's really not. I see incredible players every single week coaching, there are guys that are already bouncing up and down between the USHL and the, and the North American league from 18 triple a teams. Um, maybe like, like Justin said, maybe they're just not sticking. They're going back and forth, but where is it? They're going back and forth to they're either going to the NA or they're going to really high level 18 triple a teams. I mean, you have some powerhouses out there that guys from there are getting drafted the show. I mean, it happens. It happens. Yeah. And um, I, I, while I do think that there are too many, triple a teams i've said this before i think there's too many of them there's a huge disparity obviously between the top 10 and then and then you go into the hundreds right like i mean when we start going into the hundreds i think we've kind of passed the point of no return on that um reminds me of the ontario junior league back in the day where they started to like fraction it off because there were too many teams and it was just getting watered down so i think that's happening at the midway point to the lower end point of the AAA spectrum across the board. And I'm sure Justin has seen this and probably had similar thoughts. I'm not going to read or speak for him, but uh, we see this all the time, right? You have guys that say they play AAA and you just go in your head, like 
mm-hmm. you know, and that's not a, it's, it sounds rude, but at the same time, it's not supposed to be a slight. It's just, you're not ready yet. You haven't gotten there yet. Or maybe it's stuff that you haven't worked hard enough, but I'm not going to start talking for the people. What I'm trying to say is 18 AAA is actually very, very strong hockey for the first 50, 60 teams, 50, 60 teams in this country. And even guys in the thirties and forties and fifties in the country, they're getting looked at by top end junior tier two, tier one programs, NCAA schools. Um, it's very, very talented. And some guys just need to become dominant within their age group before they can expand to being a 16 year old playing with, you know, 20, 21 year old age outs. Maybe they're just not ready for that jump yet. So taking that extra time to develop, I don't think is is necessarily a bad thing unless you're going to be put in that position. Like Justin was saying, where you're going to be a top six guy and you're going to be on the ice and, and being able to produce for your team um it's not it's not like it used to be where you should really make the jump to juniors early it's not a necessity in my opinion anymore there's very very high quality 18 triple a teams that would work out exponentially better for a lot of players yes yes 100 res tech is a high performance grip for your blade that gives you an edge over tape and wax practically weightless and with zero drag on the ice res tech is scientifically proven to give a boost to speed accuracy and energy transfer I've been using ResTech exclusively on my stick for just about a year now, and I will never go back to tape. It lasts 8 to 10 sessions, easily applicable and easily removed. Try ResTech today by going to ResTech.com and using code VanguardHockey15% for 15% off your order. That's VanguardHockey15 and then the percent symbol at R-E-Z-Z-T-E-K.com. Evolve your blade, evolve your game. All right. Okay. Uh we have uh, Justin here, so uh, you know definitely I have to say that uh, just to kind of change the subject a li- little bit, you know Justin Ryan's uh, basically the best uh, you know skill company in New Jersey here. They uh, extended to upstate New York to New York City, and uh, you know we had a long conversation with Jeff. You know really what what the skill is like. What, what do you what the kid should be working on with the skill coach? You know Jeff, you are the skill coach too. You know you run a lot of camps. And, uh, you know, Nicky started with Justin, uh, I think he started a couple of years ago when he just started with the Glice and then, you know, uh, spent a lot of time with Justin and Connor and the other guys uh, at Top Line Hockey. And um, I just kind of want to touch on this subject. Like I went to the game uh, yesterday. I watched the Devils and uh, uh, Las Vegas uh, game. And uh, I was very impressed with Jack Hughes. Like a couple of years ago, I would never thought how good of a player he's going to become. And uh, it was a very tight checking game. There was no hits, but there was absolutely no room on the ice. And, you know, Jack, uh, he used his speed just to create space for him. He never got the puck and fly with it because he knows he's going to get killed. As soon as he beats the first guy, the second guy comes in and he's going to get killed. But I was so impressed how quick decisions he made with the puck. And most importantly, in the high speed, how can receive and distribute the puck? And, uh, you know, I just, uh, there, there was something like that, some kind of skill that, uh, I was very impressed last night and, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, just kind of like, uh, Justin, just want to ask you about, you know, like uh, you as a skill coach, you know, like you see, obviously if you get a score, then you have to work on basic of the edge work and stuff like that. But, you know, let's say, you know, because I'm around the 15, you 15, you 16 group, you know, if they get the skill coach, what is really, I know they personally, maybe somebody's 
lacking the shot or is he's lacking the in skating but like whoa, what do you think like uh, how much time they should spend with the skill coach on top of their club hockey and what they should be working on that's a great question i think what i like to do is i i think it's really important to get to know the player that you're working with and i think a lot of the times and i'm sure jeff you get this too a parent's going to say to you hey my son needs to work on his first three quick steps. He needs to get his shot stronger, his release. And that's what he's hearing on NHL tonight, or he's hearing on, uh, you know, TSN. And he's telling you that his son needs that, but his son's a defenseman and he really needs to work on his retrievals. And the, and what I like to call the hot spots of that player's game, um, Jack Hughes and Jacob Truba's skill sessions look completely different. Um, and I think, you know, you need to find out what kind of player you're working with and, and what's going to be a recurring theme in their game. Um, is it is he playing his off wing? Does he need to become comfortable catching passes on his backhand at top speeds? You know, what's it? I like to work on dexterity at high speeds because I think if you can train a movement pattern and, and get that in your toolbox, um, when the time comes in a game, it feels natural to you. Uh, versus, you know, even when I played, like there was five moves, right? It was a toe drag, a fake, a head fake. Now guys are making plays with their feet that I, you know, five, six years ago, it's unheard of, right? These, the edge works insane. Um, so there's always something to be refining. Uh, and I think working with a skills coach gives you the confidence to, to, to try things in a game that makes sense for the scenario that you might not have even realized you could do uh before working with someone and working through those movements and and yes there's times where you know you're doing stuff through the skills coach that's over the top but it's it's more so to reinforce a movement than it is to actually try that in a game and i think um you know it's it's really important for players to just to refine what they do well and and obviously it's our jobs jeff and i and skills coaches jobs to find your weakness and improve on those but if I'm working with someone like, let's say, Nikki, I know he's a goal scorer. I know he's going to have two or three good grade A opportunities a game. We're going to be working on, you know, in tight scoring and, and making sure that when he gets a breakaway, he knows the move he's going to try and go with and and picking up pucks off the wall and his cutbacks in different scenarios versus a D man who who might be playing 25 minutes a night. I just want to make sure he's picking pucks off the wall the right way. You know, his his toes is, and when he's making pivots, he's making the right the right, right decisions with his feet and you know, that, that to me is what, what skills coaches are for. I think teaching players how to do these trick shots, it's, it's fun. It's cool. You know, at the end of a session to see that, but it's really about the meat and potatoes. If you go and watch uh, an NHL practice after a skate, you know, these guys are out there, Sidney Crosby, you know, Marner, Matthews, these guys are taking the chances that they see night in and night out. And they're just hammering home repetitions until it's, it's just, they can close their eyes and they know what's going to happen. And that's really, it, it, you know, I, I read something, it takes 10,000 hours to master a skill. Obviously, you know, that would be a lot of money to do 10,000 hours with a skills coach, but as many hours as you can and get in with the coach, but it's also on you, right? I think we do a good job of giving the players at home resources and different things they could do, be it watching video, you know, working off ice on their hands or their skills. And there's always ways to improve. But I think um, that like your point about Jack Hughes, the game is going in an unbelievably skilled direction fast. And if you can't keep up with your feet and your hands, you're going to be left behind. You can't clutch and grab like you used to. You know, you can't get away with being a tough guy anymore. And nobody wants to see it. Nobody cares for it. So if you don't have the skill to uh, keep up and and 
make the players around you better. I just, I don't think you can last in the game the way you used to. I agree. I agree. It's, uh, yeah, there, there was, there, there was something like, you know, I, I don't go to a lot of games. So yesterday I was on top and I, you can kind of like from different angle than watching on TV. So I kind of watching the play develops and stuff like that. And, you know, it, it was something when you say feet and hands, and the hands are for me are so important because you know there is certain players they are actually maybe a little, a little older but they are a little slower now but they still have the those hands and they can always make the right play and they still kind of look really good out there and yeah. then there were some youngsters out there who had not as good as hands they were so fast but they don't look as good out there so, you know, just the hands, like the hands for me are so important, the hands. And uh, definitely you made a lot of great points and I agree with you. And I just want to follow up with this question because you always talk with uh, Jeff about this, about the spring and summer training. And I am really against a lot of those spring tournaments and those select teams and stuff like that. And, you know, I spend a lot of time with Nikki, with the skill coaches and training. And I really truly believe the training is very important in this uh, spring and summer they call it showcases and stuff like that. So, you know, I really just want to ask you, you know, because uh, you are doing the strength conditioning also, and I have my view, I'm doing something with Nikki. I, I believe that I just want to see your view on it. You know, uh, how much time you should be spending, you know, for me, forget the spring and summer hockey is basically it's like, useless and i truly believe the kids should be at the u50 u60 level really spending time in gym and with the skill coaches this is the time when you can really put your time with the skill coaches work on the stuff can really help you the following season and just want to see your take on that you know about playing spring hockey summer hockey or how the training should be done for these kids to get to the next next level at the u15 and u u16 level yeah uh, it's a great question. I get asked a, a ton and I'm sure Jeff gets asked a ton as well. And I think similar to your last question, it's, it's very player specific. Um, if you're a late developer and you're new to the, if you're someone who played double a up until he was 13 and this is his second season playing triple a every game he gets at that level of competition is important for, you know, adjusting to the speed of the game and, and gaining confidence against players that are uh, maybe a higher level or further along their development path. But I think for a player who's that top tier, um, they go to the tournaments that everyone knows the ones you should be at, right? The rest of them are either money makers or they're just, you know, fun times to travel with your family and, and get to hang out and play with players that you, you know, don't necessarily play with during the season. But I think the summer and the spring, it can make or break your career. Um, not just, Hey, like it used to be put on 10 pounds. That was the advice, gain weight, you know, gain weight, gain weight, gain weight, gain weight, get stronger. Now I think it's create longevity in your, in your career, you know, make sure your joints are moving the way they're supposed to be. Um, you know, Jeff, Jeff Lavecchio, Jeff introduced me to Jeff Lavecchio. And we, we talk a lot about, you know, longevity, hip health, shoulder health. There's nothing worse for your development than being on the IR for six months because of an injury you could have prevented that just is, you know, a weak lower back, a weak, a weak shoulder girdle. Um, your hips aren't aligned and playing another 50 games in the summertime because your friends are doing that. is probably not the answer. I think working on your game, whatever your goals are uh, and targeting what you can improve on and having a game plan to attack will get you tenfold the results that will get you uh, playing in the bean pot, the chowder 
all these tournaments back to back to back playing against the same kids you played all season in different jerseys um you know getting showcase exposure i think the real showcase of the real exposure is the is the national camps is the district camps is nationals is is big ticket events where you know there's scouts with the clipboards in the stands these other ones i i think the the name showcase gets thrown around quite a bit now and if you're good enough i think the guys are going to find you but you have to put the work in in the summer times in order to have that conversation and and the summer is the perfect time to do it you know you're not you're not worried about your schoolwork you're not traveling around um, you can really get one or two good sessions in a day, still recover, still be a kid. And, and that's a good time to do it right in the summertime, still, you know, go to the beach, be with your family, develop as a person. But when it's, when it's work time, the summer is really where you can, and spring is really where you can put those reps in, uh, and, and start to see massive gains in your game on and off the ice. Jeff, I agree hundred percent again. This, I mean, yeah, I can't say it any better. That's what I do with my son, so I, so I have to agree. <laughs> yeah, and, and dude, I remember, I remember our first conversation ever. Um, you called me, I was driving, and 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 you asked me what my mindset was on lifting and how he was going to be training, and um, you know, the speed and and the the dynamic movements and the plyometrics versus you know the 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 burn and. The, the gridiron style of heavy lifting and, and where we felt our philosophies aligned. And, you know, that's another whole avenue is, is your son going to work out with his wrestling friends at the local gym, maxing out on bench press every day, telling you he's lifting and he comes home and he looks stronger, but his shoulders are beat the shit. And, you know, he's, he's not putting himself in a good spot to be healthy in the season, or is he working out with someone who's training hockey players? Is he working out with hockey players? The best thing I ever did was, train with Ben Prentice at, at a young age and see guys like Match Pacioretty and Jonathan Quick and Matt Molson at age 16. I'm seeing these guys who are new pros drinking shakes, drinking, you know, doing recovery, stretching, spending three hours in the gym. Their workout was only 50 minutes, but they're there, you know, they're taking care of their bodies. And that's really where you learn to become a pro. Um, you know, looking back, I think the best pros are the people who just understand their body and take care of their body. Like there's no really knock on wood. I mean, there are, but career ending injuries now are far and few. It's how can you bounce back? And, and, and these different, um, you know, training styles can really prevent a lot of these injuries that are non-impact um, and avoiding surgeries and avoiding being on the shelf. You hear it all the time. I almost made it, but my shoulder, I almost did this, but my knee, or I missed tryout camp because my, growing and if you can you know check that box that's one less thing you have to worry about 100 someone it was a long time ago someone told me once you have to put as much energy to your training to your recovery and that really helped me that that really helped me you know when i was playing i was lucky enough to play till i was 36 37 years old and and obviously you know i had the injuries but uh you know i realized that at the not till I was like 27, you know, and these kids have this information now, you know, they can start at the 15 and 16 and there's a lot of good coaches out there. And, you know, just like you said, you know, the training is totally different now than it was when we were growing up and, and definitely, uh, you know, it's all about to find the right trainer, find the right skill coach, find the right place to be training because, you know, you can waste away the whole spring and summer with the wrong guy and give, and gives you nothing. Yeah. So definitely yeah. that's one of the most important yeah. things uh, for the parents to realize. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, I think recovery, recovery, mental health, all of those things are things that weren't even discussed when, when, even when I was training, let alone, I'm sure when you were training, I think it's, it's come a long, long, long way. And it's still somewhat counterintuitive, right? Like there's days where you want to go and, and, and go for that run or do that exercise or go skate, but really your body's asking you to rest, you know, your body's asking you to shut it down and, and regroup. And that's part of being, um, you know, being a pro, but being a top level athlete is understanding your body and, and, and listening to the needs and demands of, of what you're putting on it. Cause ultimately working out and skating and all this is, is stress, right? It's just stress on your body. So, you know, you're trying to daily, you're fighting inflammation, you're fighting different, uh, stressors and the old bag skate or the old, you know, run till you puke. It's really just, you're hurting the athlete. It's not, it's, it's not helping anybody. So that, that whole thing has shifted for sure. 100%. There was a, there was a guy, he's still, he's still on Long Island, but, um, in the summers, uh, used to work out with, uh, Higgins and Commissarek and Eric Nystrom at this place called I3E. And cause you bring up Prentice and maybe have like a little kind of flashback here. And so it would be the same type of deal. Our workouts would be like 45 minutes to 50 minutes, super high intensity, but we'd be there before, uh, we had like a whole silken of stretches and things we had to do. I, we even had breathing exercises. And then afterwards, it'd be things like acupuncture and active release therapy, stretching and massage and yoga. Um, and then you'd have to be on all these different supplements that took care of all these things inside your body. And, and it was like absolutely something I had never experienced before. I, and, and now that's all, it's a lot more common. But when, when he first came out, it was absolutely revolutionary. Um, and it was a totally different style of training. Like you're saying that everything I had done before I had a Soviet Russian coach who was just about for, for, it was about, you know, mobility, like plyometrics for mobility and pure strength, just be an absolute jump, jump, jump. jump. Yeah. I mean, literally jump over the garbage can. And I mean, like the stuff that you see in those Soviet videos, we did, we did that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Jump over the garbage can, jump over garbage can, do 360 lamp, you know, land backwards. If you wipe out and crack your head on the ground, the next yeah. guy's jumping, yeah. get up and move, right? But learning how to, I, I one thing I've, I've said for a long time about myself was I always wished that I didn't pick up stretching when I was like 18 years old. Mm-hmm. I was not nearly as, as agile and mobile, like in my hips and in my hamstrings. Yeah. I never had any long-term injuries, thank God, but... I, I saw the longevity in a lot of these other guys, you know, after my, my thing with like you was concussions, but yeah. it's, it, I saw the longevity of some of these guys who like, they never cranked out tons of weight, but they were like, you know, full splits and, you know, yeah. I'm like, how the hell do you do that stuff? Yeah, for sure. I, mean, I, I see videos of stuff that you do. You're very big on mobility. Uh, in yeah, I mean, the best thing I think we've done to date is is we teamed up with a physical therapist and, you know, we were, we're launching an online mobility program that, you know, we worked really, really hard on, very hockey specific. He's been working with, you know, Quentin Musty, he's going to go first round and that kind of made him a hockey physical therapist, but he understands the hip and the shoulder and, and just these t- takes 10 minutes, maybe less a day. It's not go to hot yoga, you know, feel like emasculated. It's like some people it's, it's very do this instead of running, doing high knees in the hallways, which does nothing. Do these activation exercises, 
progress through movements. Like I, I did high knees, butt kickers, karaoke, tin man, and quad stretch from age 12 to 26. Yep. Nothing changed about my pregame. And now I would do everything different. I would get stronger during the season by doing small movements after games. I would take my pregame and turn that into a way to increase my mobility, not just foam roll and put a hot pack on my lower back. But that's what guys, you know, were doing. So you just do what you see. And we're in such a great position to rewrite the narrative a little bit. And, and we're always learning. And I think like, you know, people say, oh, I saw this guy doing this on Instagram or I saw this guy doing this at this gym. And could be great it could it could be the dumbest thing in the world but you don't know until you try it and and what works for your body and it's it's crucial the mobility aspect is crucial it's it's 100%. not a sociable thing it's not you know touch your toes for 10 seconds after a skate it's make or break it's explosiveness in your stride it's lengthening your stride it's adding heaviness to your puck touches it's it's adding power to your shots it's everything in between i think being strong in ranges of motion is, is tenfold more important than what's your max back squat. hundred percent. I mean, you see, you see a lot of these guys. I mean, well, I mean, you see when you see the video of like McDavid at the combines, right? He's not putting up heavy weights, right? I mean, he's not putting up heavy weights at all, but he's an absolute tank. Yeah. His core strength and his leg strength is unmatched. Yeah. And you know, this guy is not putting up 225, 250 on the bar. Yeah. It's just unnecessary. There's no need for it. Yeah, I 100% agree. No, I uh, I have a funny story about this. You know, obviously, you know, I'm kind of thinking back when, uh, you know, Justin, you were talking about, you know, how is evolving that pregame routines and stuff like that. You did the same one for 10, 12 years. Yeah. You know, and I kind of really got into my body. You know, it's crazy. Like till I was 25, 27, I didn't care. I did the old fashioned, you know, from Czech. It was kind of coming from Russia to check all those you know, those workouts and I, I was running like a gazelle all the time, you know, like craziness. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like, I really start to listen to my body at about 26, 27 years old. And, uh, you know, it's funny when I look back now, when I look at my, uh, warm up routine, when I was 20, 25, 30, and really got into it around like 30, because I start kind of feeling, Oh my God, I don't feel as good. You know, I have to do this and do, and I really tried to research it, asking a lot of other trainers. And, you know, it got to the point where like my, my last three years in the league, you know, there was a morning skate when you on the road, there's a morning skate uh, at uh, 1130 and the bus would leave from the hotel at 1015. It's always like half an hour ride. And I always had to take a cab like 930 because like my because my routine would become because I, I would not want to cheat any part of my body and I would warm up perfectly even before the morning skate. So I would get to the rink and, uh, you know, it's funny that to this day, every morning, I'm not doing a workouts. I'm just doing my warm up routine. And it really takes me like 35 minutes. And if I don't do it, I really feel like garbage the whole day. But if I do it, I feel really good. So, you know, there's just something I was thinking about while you were talking and how, how it evolves. And, you know, obviously if I would know now what I know now, when I was 16, 17, I probably still be playing. And it's crazy that the kid should realize, you know, it's not like 
you know, maybe it's time at that age when you're in juniors, really look into your body, really try to research what's working best for you. Don't talk to just one person. Look at like other persons, what they do in some different coaches and then kind of take a little bit from that guy, that guy, you know, and kind of like put your good routine together and really work on your body because uh, you're going to figure out later on, this is the most, one of the most important things that you can do for your body. Absolutely. Absolutely. So to bring back another another name, uh, speaking of Jeff Lavecchio that you brought up, who's an absolute beautician, I hope he's listening, Jeff. Uh, visualization. Visualization is something, uh, you know, you, you've heard it since you're a child. You know, if you can see it and dream it, you can do it. But you're taking, you guys are taking visualization to another level. And I, I really love it. And you know, I, I've done it with my team a few times this year and, and, and it always works whenever we're in that jam and, I, and you know, we pull that one out. And um, how, how do you approach those visualizations before those sections start? Um, I, it's 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 a hurdle at times the first time, because a lot of people look at you like, what is this? Woo woo. You know, you just blasted music. We just, you know, got after it. We're sweating. It was a great intense session. You're screaming, go, 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 go do this. And then all of a sudden the lights turn off and it's, you know, low lit led lights. And, and we're talking you through, you know, your heart rate coming down and visualizing your puck touches. Once we in, uh, introduce the hockey verbiage into it. I think a lot more people become receptive the first time um, versus, you know, close your eyes, imagine the ocean breeze. And, you know, if you start with close your eyes, guys, we're not going to fall asleep, but I want you to, you know, focus on your breathing. And, you know, if you're a forward, start to think about, you know, your next breakout pass and catching a pass on your backhand. And if you're a defenseman, the puck coming up the half wall to you and you're walking the blue line and 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 now all of a sudden that clicks for someone and they know the why behind what they're doing. And and then, you know, they relax into it and the lights are off and they, you know, yeah, they're going to look left and look right. And you know, is, is my buddy doing this or is his eyes open or is he on his phone? But that, again, goes back to what we talked about in the beginning of just buying in. Right. If you buy in it works. And, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, myself, Boo, uh, RJ, all suffered concussions, all have seen, you know, psychiatrists and, and whatnot when we were dealing with our symptoms and very consistent messaging was breath work, visualization, meditation, controlling your heart rate, bringing, bringing back control to your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system and, and what you can do to kind of bring your heart rate to a steady uh, state. And it takes a few minutes. It's not, it's not bad. And, and most of the kids ask the next time, are we going to do that again? Are we going to try that again? So I think it's new. It's, it's different, but uh, you turn on an NHL game or you get there early enough, you'll see the goalie on the bench with his eyes closed, glove and blocker in his hand, watching pucks hit his glove, watching, you know, pucks hit his blocker or a forward with his stick in his hand, eyes closed, you know, visualizing that game winner. And that was something I did. I sat on the bench and, and, and closed my eyes and, like you said, if you, if you see it, you know, you see it before you do it, you really might be able to do it. And I think that was something that I, I, I really took to heart and I, I tried to do as much as I could. Uh, and now we do it every day. Uh, we end our workout every day with a uh, breath work or a meditation. And it's something that's really important to our players and our staff. I think it brings everyone back to neutral. Yeah, I love it. I think it's great practice. And I think that it's something that more and more, uh, coaches and players should start doing if they're not already doing it. 
Um, you know, you get into a pretty much a meditative state then, you know, you're one with the breathing and your thoughts. And, um, it's a, it's a really powerful tool, uh, for, for players who don't really know too much about it. Uh, I hope that this may have changed something in you to, you know, to maybe give it a shot yourself and, and try to utilize that kind of personal tool there, whether you do it before a game, after a game, focusing on your next one before, during practice, whatever it is. Um, but I wanted to touch on something else and sorry, this is a big swing of the pendulum in a totally different direction. Uh, but we touched on tryouts, uh, and how they're, they're moving up. And since we're kind of getting to the, you know, the second half, some don't like to call it that, but, uh, you know, definitely for some leagues, it's starting to get into the tail end of the season here. And people are starting to think about next year, uh, next year is sooner than it has ever been before. Um, I see a lot of pros and cons to moving tryouts up. Uh, I believe that we were talking about like some teams are in March this year. Uh, I see a lot more cons with it being that early, but uh, what, what do you see as the pros? I see as a pro that you're going to get to see somebody who's in peak game performance, or at least they should be, you know, when you're in March, either your season has just ended uh, extremely recently or it's still going on. And you're going for, you know, last, you know, last efforts towards nationals and such. So yep. you should be in your peak shape and your peak game performance. And I think that that's a major pro. Um, but I don't know if that, that pro is enough to outweigh the scales, in my opinion. So I wanted to know what you thought about that, about moving it up this early. That is a great point and probably the only pro I could think of. Um, I'm like, I've always been and big believer in culture and team locker rooms and, and um, buy-in and uh, whatever level you're at, you're at, if you're making your own decisions as a player, if your parents are making your decisions, I don't think the car ride home in February should be, well, did you hear so-and-so is the coach next year and we're going to go and jump ship and don't tell you know, this guy, because they're only taking two from each team. And now you're cutting ties and you're, you know, the guy you've been training with all of a sudden you're not. And, um, it's the rumor mill. It's a lot of, I don't know how it is by you, but it's crazy here. I get 10 calls a day of, you know, it's like TMZ tips. I get like so-and-so's dad's telling me that this coach is, you know, is quitting halfway through the year. And then now half the kids are going there and the other kids are going there. And I remember when I was young, it did happen. You know, the kids were training for tryouts in different small groups because one group was the avalanche group. One group was the Royals group and one group was going to the gulls and it's hockey. It's competitive. It is what it is. I don't think that tryouts should interfere with the current season you're on. You pay a lot of money to be on the team you're on. You put a lot of work in with the team and the teammates that you have. I don't think announcing, you know, in February that you're switching, switching it up does really any good for the culture of your team. It's tough for a coach to, to work on your development, knowing you're leaving. I think that's a big thing, right? Like he's, he's going to take his eyes off of you knowing you're gone and, and start to focus on guys that he's bringing in or that are staying, or he's trying to keep guys to stay. Um, I think it's terrible. I don't think I can't think of a reason besides that. I think what they should do is give give different tryout dates. The fact that they're all on the same dates to me is insane. That's a, that's that's a totally different and yeah. huge issue. I think that's, it's that's insanity. It is an issue. Like 
okay, if the top team in the in the area is the Avalanche or the the Gulls or the Royals or a Compuware or Little Caesars or Mission, and your goal as a player all year is to make that team, you shouldn't have to decide if you're going to make it or not and go to that tryout or play your card safe and go to another tryout because you know you're going to make it. You should go balls to the wall at the tryout. And if you don't make it, it should be like a USHL. You don't make it, go to the NA tryout next week. You don't make the NHL team, you go to the AHL camp. You don't make the AHL camp, you go to the East Coast camp. It shouldn't It shouldn't be, you know, at 12 years old, oh, all my friends are going to this tryout, but I'm going to go to this team because it's just, it's too much. It's, it's not, it's taking away from the game. It's taking away from the fun at the time where it becomes important to go to tryout camps, like a USHL camp or an OHL camp. Those are in the summertime. Those are in the late, late spring. Um, and I think that's for a reason. And I, I see what you're saying about being in peak game shape, but if you're, if you're a coach, I don't think it takes much of an eye to realize, Oh, you know, he would have gotten that puck, but it's the middle of June and he, you know, just got back from two week vacation with his family or he can't catch a pass. You know, there's a difference. And I think that's a good point you brought up. I didn't think of it, but I think that's a cop out. I think these guys need to get away from the commercializing this, the game so much at this young age in, in with, you know, 20 different triple a teams and tryouts and this and that, and just, let the kids go and, and, and when let the chips fall as they may. And I think that it'll, it'll happen better for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this whole thing, I like the word commercialized. I think that's used really well here. Um, I really, I really disdain not only are they all the same, like same time, but you shouldn't have to choose your allegiance to somebody before they've given you a decision. Right. So if you, if both of these teams, team A and team B are Tuesday at six o'clock, now you have to make a choice because you don't have a chance to go try out for team B if you went for team A and got cut. Yeah. And everybody always wants to be the first one. You know, we want first dibs on all these players. And it's like, what, what about like the, the whole group, you know, I, I just, I really like the way you put commercialize that. I don't think I've seen it that way. Um, but now it's like spinning in my head that that sounds exactly like what this is. Yeah. And, and by the way, tryouts aren't free. No, of course not. Yeah. And that's the point, right. It's like, go to this one. It's 200. Go to that one. It's another 200. It's not, I don't know. And, and look, take it from me. I, I know I am a business and I am a business of hockey and I charge premium. I'm not taking anything away from that. I'm just saying that I think, you know, the core of the sport is your club team and i will say that till i'm blue in the face and i don't coach on a bench but i think that y- you can't put it in a kid's mind at 12 years old 13 years old that like you know the decision is up to them it should let the coaches should pick a team and if you don't make that team then it's the next team that's best for you not where you're you know your your parents carpool buddy is or you know all those things it should be about the game yeah i um we were we were talking before about how there was this instance last year where a try there was a team that was going to nationals and they had the tryouts before the tournament and there were kids that were going to play in the national tournament with a team that they knew that they were cut from for the next year like i 
I think that that story in itself can also have positives and negatives. Yeah. It's the atmosphere of a pro locker room of a guy who's on a seven year deal versus a guy who's on a PTO. Yep. Or a guy who's a free agent or a guy who's asking for a trade. It, It creates that same dialogue and that same story at 13 years old. And there's no reason for it. Yeah. I, it, to backtrack to your story about when you got cut from your USHL team, how did, how, how did you bounce back from that in a way that was positive for you? Whereas, you know, the opposite could have been, okay, I'm done. I'm just going to pack it in and play AAA back home. The USHL doesn't want me. I must be a loser. Yeah. I, I that was, um, I think that's like kind of an anomaly in the sense that I knew I, I went out there with no like as aspirations to make that team. I mean, I wanted to make the team, but no expectations, sorry, to make that team. I, I went out there with, you know, the mindset of let me be a sponge and come back with everything possible that I saw guys doing better than me. Guys like TJ Tynan, um, you know, lighting up a camp. I wasn't even close to that level. I, I came back knowing wow, I need to put the work in. And that was great. Um, And that's what it should be. It should be a tryout and try to see where you stack up against other guys. And then you go back and you say, I'm faster than these guys, but my hands aren't as good. I'm way bigger than these guys, but I'm not even close to as fast. I'm this, but I'm not that. And then you have a a tangible list of things you can attack and, and, and get better at um, versus, oh, well, you know, his dad knows the coach and, and the blah, 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 blah. Like you're teaching a kid at 15 years old to make excuses for himself. That's really what you're doing. Point. So Peter, I got a question for you. Yes. Why did you never buy a car from Justin's dad? What the hell's with that? Well, Pizza, you're only, my guy, man. We use Fords, you know? There is only one Ford I like, and I can afford it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the GT40. <laughs> you should have negotiated no, no. that with Lou in the beginning. That should have been right, right from the beginning. No, no. Let me kind of like, I know we're going towards the end. You know, I was kind of quiet just li- listening to you guys and... Uh, you know, sometimes like a lot of people in National Hockey League are behind the scenes and they never got uh, mentioned. And when you guys, uh, you know, talk about, you know, like uh, visualizing the game and stuff like that, you know, I have to say that Lula Morello was way ahead of a game. And I remember that Lou hired this German massage therapist and his name was Jürgen Mertz. I, I remember to this day. Jürgen Mertz, and he had me and Paddy Eliash. It was in, I believe he started in 99 season, 2000. And he would like, he would take us one by one to this back room in the all continental airlines uh, arena. And he would like, exactly. He would like put us in kind of half sleep. And and I'm talking 20 minutes before the warmups, put us in like a half sleep and just kind of talk to us, visualizing, you know, playing the right way, making passes, being unselfish, always look out for your teammate, make those plays, think about your power play plays and stuff like that. And I remember we did it for three full season with Jurgen before every single game. And we had our, basically, I had my top three seasons. And, uh, you know, that's something what we did in 1999. 
And, uh, you know, since that, we, I went to another three or four NHL teams and they never had a person like that. But I tried to do that myself before the games where, and it, you know, like it didn't take me right away. When you do it by yourself, it took me years almost to get it to the perfection where I wanted to have it. So, you know, like when, uh, you know, Justin is doing this or you are doing this with the kids at the age 15, 16 or 12, even this is something unbelievable to me because, you know, like they can learn this now and they can really use it on. So, you know, there's just something that I just want to add on to the conversations, you know, that uh, we had here. And, you know, I, I don't even want to get into the tryouts. Uh, it's like we are in January now and my phone is blowing up and it just uh, it's just something where. Even the parents should not be in this position in January now and totally stressing out about when the kids are going to play next year. I think, you know, for the U, U14, 15, 16, and 18 uh, group who are going to nationals, uh, at least have the tryouts month after the nationals. So everything can calm down. The kids can sit down with the parents, see how the season went, see what the chances really are, where to go, see like what kind of jump they want to do. And, uh, you know, because uh, basically the trials are the next day, right, right after the nationals, really. Like that's really how it is. So basically you play the nationals, but meanwhile, the parents and the kids, unless the coach told them you are a hundred percent back in or this and that, you know, they are stressing out. Oh my God, what's going to happen next week? Where am I going to play next week? Meanwhile, the most important tournament of the year where everybody's watching is happening right now. Yep. So, you know, I think it just adds too much stress to the kids, to the parents. I truly believe that, you know, there is even so much stress. We talked about a couple episodes ago. There's so much stress at the kids already at these young ages with the expectations, even from the parents, the coaches and this, you know, the expectation of rankings, even it's like, it's unbelievable what's coming on these kids at the young age. And, you know, just to add the, another stress and expectations from the trials, you know, parents, we expect you to be on that team next year. You're that good. Oh my God. You know, just add it to the list. Meanwhile, we expect our kids to have a straight A's at the school. Like, don't forget about the schools, you know? So, and meanwhile, the kids, because of the, all the tournaments, the nationals, all this and that, the training, they're missing so much uh, time in school. So, you know, like kind of like rolls on top of these kids. And, uh, you know, I just think like, we should really take a step back, go more into the club hockey, maybe stay with the club even. You know what? Let's be with the same team month after the nationals and keep training because that month of just training is going to do so much good for you. Yeah. you know? they, should have, and they should do exit interviews the same way they do at exactly. and say, you know what, Peter, you had a great season. You know, you're, you could probably benefit from going to this organization because they're losing forwards. They're going to blah, blah, blah versus just making a decision based off of, you know, rumors. And I think if you got direction and the coaches had enough, uh, lack of a better term, enough balls to look you in the face and say, you're not going to make this team next year. Don't come to tryouts. I, 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 you're a great person. You're a great kid. Love your family. You work your butt off. However, we know next year it gets harder. I think you would be a good fit here, here, and here. And here's what five things you should work on over the summer. That to me gives a kid something that they can walk out of that room, whether their head's down initially or not, and say, okay, great. Now I have a plan. Now I know what I can do. And 
Instead, what most people do is they close the door, they let the parents, you know, have a feeding frenzy and they sit back and let the, the manager plan tryouts and then they pick their team. And I think that's a shame. What a world we would live in if that was actually something that happened. Yeah, but it's 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 an administration. I think I was thinking about it as you guys were talking. I think it's just an administration thing. Like they need to get their schedules out. They need to get the tuition payments in. They need to get, you know, the ice slots booked. They need to know how many players, what jerseys to order, what numbers the kids are going to be. And all those things take weeks and months. And, you know, I think it got to a point where they're like, let's just push it up. So we have three more weeks to sort things out. Yeah. It's uh, definitely, it's definitely something that should be looked at. And, uh, you know, I am in the middle of it with my son. I am absolutely in the middle of this. And, you know, the rumors there out there, you just, you know, like somebody calls you this and then I go, you know what, do not even call me with this stuff anymore. I just don't want to know. And it's uh, definitely uh, not in the right place. Not yeah. close. I agree. I wanted to finish up by asking Justin about his transition from pro hockey to the business world into the skills world um, and how Topline got started. Yeah, it, crazy. Never in a million years expected to literally, I still have my skates on right now, but to have my skates on at, at you know, 30 years old um, after playing, I, I was extremely resentful. I was really bitter. Um, I had planned, I was on an NHL deal. I was playing in the East coast league after tearing my labrum in my shoulder. I had plans to go to Europe. I really was, you know, kind of rehitting my stride. I did all the rehab and my last game, I had a really bad concussion, like a sucker punch to the head, head hit the ice and six to seven months of just like dark room, really, really dark times for me. And I sold my gear on sideline swap. I really didn't ever think I was going to open a hockey bag again. Didn't play men's league. Didn't even watch a hockey game. Um, and, you know, top line was something that I did while I was playing with Connor, my partner, with Boo, with guys in, 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 in who played in the summertime as a camp. We would use the money and we would, you know, rent a shore house for the weekend or go to the Hamptons for a weekend and, and use that, you know, and do that. And that was it. And it was great. And, and we put it on the back burner and we had an LLC. We thought we were cool. And that was it. And COVID hit um, and I was working for my dad, actually. And, um, you know, the pandemic hit things got shut down and one thing led to another and and i was doing you know off one-off lessons with with guys and there was a training facility that peter has been to it was uh called the anvil it was a sports performance facility that was struggling and they had a big turf field and connor and i went in there and we pitched the idea of buying a glyce rink um if he bought the rink we would do a profit share with the owner of the facility and say, Hey, maybe we can keep the doors open. Maybe not, but let's try it. And, uh, you know, one kid led to two kids. And then all of a sudden my schedule was three kids at every hour for four hours. And then I told Connor, I couldn't do it myself. You know, Connor was working, uh, in finance at the time and he was doing all the stuff on the weekends, but our weeks got packed. So RJ comes up and, and he moves up from Florida and, um, RJ and I are a tandem and we're doing, you know, off ice and on ice and we're, you know, doing glyce and then in the gym and I'm putting my skates on and off. And I knew there was something there and, you know, it went from one kid to two kids. Then Nikki started coming with his teammates and all of a sudden we had national program players and, and OHL players and NHL guys were coming in the summers. And I was like, this is incredible. 
And I thought we were going to be in that facility forever doing glyce and doing the gym and splitting revenue and, and doing some off random ice stuff. And then they decided to go a different direction and turn it into like a birthday parties place, nothing to do with us. It was just a business decision on their end. It was like a Ninja warrior place now. Uh, so we put the glyce in storage and hit the ice really heavily. Uh, we were, you know, doing anything we could to stay a business. I didn't want to go back to the car dealership. I really loved what, what I was doing. Um, we were doing lessons. We were doing mini camps, small groups, and anything we could. Um, hosting, hosting tournaments, two-on-two -two games, whatever we could do. Um, and then we got really, really, really lucky, uh, and got a great opportunity to go into this rink in Newburgh. Um, and we're now the we're the directors of development for the, the entire Polar Bears program, which is a double A program. Um, but we have a, a full gym facility here. Uh, we have a rapid shot downstairs. We have two sheets of ice um, and we're, we're fully operational. We're, we're, you know, we just opened our second location in Long Island city. Now, Booney Evans, who is my roommate, uh, at Michigan and a New York Ranger, uh, for a few years. Um, you know, he came on board, he's managing and operating the New York city location. So I bounce back and forth from there. We put our glyce back in there. So that's operational. Um, we're building out a second gym in that location. We're doing camps. We're doing, um, you know, video analysis. We have a physical therapist. We're doing nutrition, mobility programs online. We have an app that you can basically book whatever you need uh, at the tip of your fingers. You can message us. You can set up a consultation to talk about stuff like we're talking about right now. You know, season planning, um, really anything. A to Z hockey we're, we're trying to get into. And, and because our staff has all played pro, our staff has all played division one hockey. We really feel that we're providing a different perspective than a lot of people are. Um, and the kids can relate to us. We really love working with everyone. We work with mites. We, I was on the ice with a five-year-old this afternoon and tomorrow, you know, I'll be on the ice with junior players. So it's, it's more about just how we can help that player that day and, and, and grow the sport and grow our, our brand and, and everything in between. But, you know, we're not taking shortcuts. We're not, we're not doing anything the wrong way. And, and that's something that is really important to us. I think a lot of, a lot of people get caught up in, you know, the numbers and the, and the commercialization of this, of this business and hockey and start throwing high school kids out there running their skates and, and putting a tracksuit on them. And I think, you know, we're really, really, really dialed in with who is running a session. And the one thing about top line that I do take a ton of pride in is it's not a Justin Selman skate. It's not a RJ Burns. It's top line. And, and we very rarely get a text or a call saying, Hey, I thought it was going to be boo, but it was Connor. Or I thought it was going to be RJ, but it was Justin. And that that's something we work really hard to, to establish. And that's something that um, I think it's a differentiator for us. And I think it's, it's, it's going to be important for us as we continue to try and grow or stay the course of what we're doing. Um, but it's, it's been a, a crazy hell of a ride. Um, I was up at 4am this morning on the ice at five, it's 10 almost now, and, and we're still talking hockey and I'll do it all day. Like it's something that I feel I have a master's degree in hockey. Um, it's something I know, not that I know better than everyone or anyone, but I know that if I have a conversation about hockey or if I'm on the ice with someone, I can help them. I can provide insights. And that to me gets me out of bed every day, knowing that, you know, it's, it's, it's a passion. It's, it's, it's a burning passion. It's something that uh, it's, it's in my blood. It's been in my blood since I was a kid. So it's something, you know, that'll be there forever. It's not something that I'm pretending 
or forcing or, um, you know, putting on a, a, an act to, to do. Yeah. And I think that's, I, I, no, no, I I just wanted to say that that was one of the things that uh, I think you and I connected on, on a personal level right off the bat is that, you know, I, I, I know the quality of the coaching that's at, you know, that, that runs with top line and, um, every single one of those guys is, is great a coaches. And, uh, that's, you know, that's what, you know, we like to do is, is, you know, make the collaboration of, of you guys and everybody else and, um, all these top tier coaches. And I think that it's wild that it turned into, it's amazing how something that can be just for like a, a short house for the weekend to, to wheel turns into, you know, this, you know, thriving business. It's, it's an amazing story. What are you going to go? Yeah. What are you going to say, Peter? Justin, you promised me, uh, just a personal question here. Uh, you promised me about a year ago that you guys going to open up a gym a little closer to my house. Is, is it happening? Uh, you have a place in, you have a, you have a place in Manhattan, right? <laughs> no, I don't. No. <laughs> I have a Jersey boy. We're, we're, listen, we, we like, to my point, um, I, on top of that core group that we have as ownership in the company, we have, you know, a big, a big Rolodex of, of players like Rebecca Russo who played at BU and played for the Riveters and Bo who played at Cornell, a draft pick of the Blackhawks. And now, uh, Cockrell and this guy Bolton, who's just jumped on board and they, they are closer to you some of them. And, and, you know, to give, to give the opportunity that I was fortunate enough to have where I could leave a corporate job and, and still provide for myself and do what I love to these, to these guys and girls who are leaving the game, whether it's because of injury, because of age, because of whatever it might be and tell them, Hey, you can have a career in something that, you don't have to travel like a hockey player to do. Um, you know, I think there's a ton of value in being an NHL coach, a college coach, a USHL coach, a junior coach, 18U coach, all the way down and through. But I think what's unique to us is that you you regain your freedom that you may lose as a hockey player, you know, being on the road every weekend or, you know, being on someone else's schedule working with us and you're still able to be in your skates. You're still able to, to do what you know and, and do what you love. So to your point, I think, I would love to to be in New Jersey again. Um, you know, I'm an avalanche guy by heart. Um, most of our guys we started with are in that New Jersey, Bergen County, Mammoth, you know, Su- Sussex County area. Um, if anyone has any real estate and they want to discuss, give me a, give me a yell. Uh, I told Jeff too, I would love, you know, to, to bring him into this at some capacity. Every, everyone who can help the game. It's not about me. It's not about, you know, the, the business it's about making sure if we put a top line sign down by you that I don't get a call in three months saying this isn't the same as what it was, uh, up by you. And if it, if the quality and the standard and the quality control can stay, I would love more than anything to be back in Jersey. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We <laughs> you, still got, you still we got two months close. before the spring start, you know, the, the spring workout. So there's still a lot of time. There is. Justin's from Jersey. I'm sure he knows a construction guy somewhere. Um, right. But uh, so one last plug for the company, man. Um, Topline's going to be joining us in April for year two uh, over at the Vanguard Easter camp on Long Island. Uh, I know, you know, Justin and RJ came out last year. It was awesome. Awesome time. They hopped on the ice with us with the NYPD, uh, which I hope we have a chance to do that again. But I can't wait to have these guys. I'm going to get to meet Boo and um, 
please check out tlhockey.com and, and check out what they're doing. And by the way, you guys can't see the video right now unless we've loaded it, but uh, Justin's rocking one of his, uh, his famous TL wavy face hats. And uh, he was nice enough to send me one of those shirts the other day. Uh, where, last question, I promise, who came up with the wavy face? My brother. Uh, it's, it's like a spinoff of, I, I might be wrong here, he might be mad at me, but I'm pretty sure it's a Nirvana album cover. Uh, he's, he's at Michigan now. He's, he's, uh, big in the art scene, big in the music scene and graphic design. So he, he threw it, the logo to me a, a couple months ago. And I was like, listen, here's my card, order the hats, all the money. <laughs> These are sick. So he's, he's been crushing it. Um, sending us designs and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we can go down the rabbit hole of like, you know, style and culture and hockey and all that, but you know, something that's one of our, our values to, to me at least is like, you know, I don't think you need to be so buttoned up. And, and uh, I think you're really starting to see that in hockey now with, you know, the way guys are dressing. But for me, it was always like, I was a fashion guy always through and through and like coming from New York, New Jersey. And, and you know, I used to get chirped for some of the stuff. And now it's like, you see guys wearing the hats and, and, and some of these crazy fits to their game. So, you know, we're pushing those boundaries with the rap music and, and, the, and the, you know, the, the style of clothes that we put out time to time. Um, think that's all part of the the persona and i think you know those hats kind of speak to that a little bit 100 percent, they're awesome thanks man peter all right no no for me uh first of all thank you guys for a great conversation here i think we went on for hour and a half uh you know while we talking i got about 25 different topics and questions just you know popped in my head to talk about you know i really hope that we can you know in this uh, group do this again very soon and uh you know seriously thanks for the great conversation boys yeah thank you peter you're the nucleus of this group you know you introduced us a year a year or two ago yeah yeah, yeah. yes exactly but you yeah. know you know what seriously like i just you know just like you guys i just love talking about hockey you know i and i really relate to both of you i think both of you are doing a great job what you're doing and uh you know and uh, both of you i can feel it's not just a business it's like you guys have a love for a game which is the most important thing for me i still am 46 years old and i walk into the hockey rink and i just kind of look around and i really just like a smell the rink and i feel really happy you know, like uh, I love hockey, you know, I love watching hockey. I love, uh, you know, coaching hockey. I love watching my son. I love watching go into the National Hockey League games. But I kind of feel you guys have the same way. You know, you guys kind of love the game. You know, on top of it, you, you do your stuff. You know, you have to provide, you have to do the business. But, you know, it's not just the business that you guys really try to improve the game. You guys try to like actually you know give the kids something not just for the business yeah i just got you know like really try to teach them something new all the time try to always be better and you know that's very important to me 100 percent, 100 percent. i don't even know what to say that was that was very very touching yeah it was very no, no, you're 100 right, though. It could go on. It could. We could go on and on and on. I think you know, it's it's such an amazing game that you know. Think about. We talked for two hours. We didn't really talk X's and O's for more than a minute or two. It's 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 just the 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 joy of being able to do this every day and and show kids that like last thing is like triple a double a blah 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 wherever you end up like you're going to create a lifestyle and you're going to create memories and you're going to create um a character for yourself that most people aren't able to do and that's just something that's unique to hockey and that you know there's a million reasons why but 
you know, I'm just grateful that we're able to do it day in and day out still uh, at any capacity, really. Couldn't agree more. Justin, thank you so much for your time, man. As always, an absolute pleasure to speak to you, see your face. And, and one last thing, congratulations to Mr. Selman for being chosen to uh, present at uh, the coach's site. Congratulations. Thanks, very, very, uh, Justin, way to go. Thanks boys. I had to bust out my old college textbooks to figure out how to make a PowerPoint here, but hopefully it put something together. Justin got in, Justin got enough votes from, uh, <laughs> that comes to the top line facility, just going on there, just buzzing at top line. Yeah. We had the, uh, sign up for our camp. If you get a, if you get a free sign up, if you vote, so. It's a write-off. <laughs> yeah right 26,000 in sides justin really inside they did they did all right boys have a great night guys jeff i'll talk to you soon i'll see you guys both in long island next month or two months yeah a couple months yeah peter will be there too so yeah, yeah but yeah you know, we'll, we'll, we'll send you guys too if you're around um we're gonna do a grand opening for the new york location would love to have you guys if you're around um jeff there'll be snacks <laughs> good one <laughs> <laughs> wow i like to mess with him because jeff's been on a, a really strong health kick since i met him so i just have fun <laughs> <laughs> there's gonna be kind bars there jeff's there in a minute there's gonna be kind bars and that special water from overseas that you like oh stuff. japanese water yeah all right jeff, guys on that note everybody thank you thank you everyone Ahojte všetci, sme kapela zo Slovenska, Cicobent a René Rendy a počúvate rozhovor Katsumoto s Petrom Sikorom a s Jeffom Loubmanom. Oh!